Psalm 32 is a psalm of David. The superscription states that it is a masculine or contemplative psalm. And here David contemplates upon his sin, possibly his sin committed against Bathsheba and Uriah. As well, he contemplates upon God's chastisement and forgiveness. And Psalm 30, in Psalm 32, he's encouraging his readers who particularly have sinned to seek the Lord who deals graciously with them. We're going to divide this psalm into two parts. First of all, we're going to look at the blessing of forgiveness in verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to look at the benefits of forgiveness in verses 8 to 11. And so we've entitled Psalm 32, The Psalm of Forgiveness. Beginning in verse 1, it says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Again, verses 1 through 7, the blessing of forgiveness. The psalm begins with how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David opens by pronouncing a blessing upon the person who has dealt with his transgression, who has dealt with his sin, who has dealt with his iniquity. There is no greater blessing than to experience the cleansing power of God. Now in the first clause of verse 1, he speaks of the forgiveness of transgression. The noun transgression means rebellion against divine authority. God forgives our transgressions. He forgives our rebellion against his divine authority, literally by bearing it or carrying it away. See, there is marvelous liberty for the children of God. As John 8.36 says, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The second clause in verse 1 speaks of sin being covered. Sin means missing the mark or standard. Paul defines it as falling short of God's glory in Romans 3.23. But God covers our sins or atones for our sins. And as he covers them, he covers them in the way we would cover something that's offensive to us. You know, the sacrifice of Christ stands between the holiness of God and our moral failure as a covering of our sin. And then verse 2 speaks of iniquity not being imputed. The word iniquity means to stray from the straight path. The verb impute means to reckon, to consider. See, when you and I repent of our sin, God no longer views us as perverse. He no longer views us as Straying. In fact, when we accept his promise of forgiveness, he imputes or reckons, charges his own, un, his own righteousness to us. Now this kind of forgiveness forces us to be honest about our own perversions. We cannot hide when we face our sin. 
When we face sin, there's shame and deceit. We have to face the hypocrisy that we have lived with. It has to be exposed. There will be grief over sin. But the gift of God's righteousness makes us guiltless. And that's why David concludes verse 2 with the blessing of those in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, when God catches us, when God exposes us, when God forgives us, He frees us from pretense. At last we can be honest. There's no more guilt. In verse 3, David here reflects upon his condition prior to experiencing the power of forgiveness. The silence that he speaks of is the silence of the unrepentant. Think about it. Here's the unrepentant person harboring his, his or her sin, and they begin feeling the physical effects of it even to their, in their bones. The verb for grow old there in verse 3 means to wear out or waste away. It's a metaphor for depression. David is depressed. He feels like an old man. He, he, he feels like life is over. All the day long this groaning happens which suggests that all the day long he's experiencing continual emotional pain. Why? Because he's hiding his sin. In his sin, God is against him. Thus David continues saying in verse 4, Day and night your mighty hand was heavy upon me. See, there is no relief. The heaviness of sin becomes more intense on our physical and emotional and mental well-being because we sense God's anger upon us. David concludes his thought by recalling that his vitality has withered away. It's dried up as he has remained silent. He pictures it here as the heat of summer. The rains are over. When the rains are over in Israel, the landscape becomes parched and dried. And that is how David is describing himself. Because he's hid this sin, he's covered it up, he's not repented of it to God. He's literally become limp with exhaustion. You see, unrepentance and therefore unforgiveness brings depression, it brings emotional pain, it brings alienation from God, and it even brings physical weakness. You know, it is worth noting that untold millions live in this condition all because of sin. Now in verse 5, the psalmist's burden is released. The very words for David's moral failure in verses 1 and 2 are employed again. He takes his falling short of God's standard, his straying from the Lord, his rebellion against God, and offers it all to God. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. Literally, I'm making my sin known to you. David brings his failure before the Lord. And as he does, he's relieved of the cover-up that has kept him spiritually and physically ill. See, instead of having to cover up his iniquity, he allows God to cover it for him. Verse 5 answers the question, How can I receive the blessing of verse 1? The twofold response is this, Confess your sins to the Lord, and accept his forgiveness. That's it. David concludes, And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. John puts it this way in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So having shown the power and blessing of forgiveness in verse 6, David now broadens his prayer to include us. David is saying, because you are merciful, and because we need forgiveness and healing, everyone who is godly will pray. Now what is the prayer of the godly? It's the prayer of repentance. You see, it's a basic truth of the Bible that the godly know that they're ultimately ungodly. And when they turn to the Lord, they become godly because of Him. Now notice, it tells us to pray in a time when you, God, may be found. Now there's a promise and a warning there. The promise is that, there, that this is such a time. God's heart is open to us in His Son. But the warning is that time will pass. The door will shut. And if you're outside the door when it shuts, you'll be outside forever. Now when we pray the prayer of repentance and we receive God's forgiveness, it gives us assurance. And that's why David continues and he says, Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. Here David gives us a picture of God's protection. When the raging flood comes, we're not going to be swept away. God is going to keep us secure in himself. In fact, he says in the next verse, verse 7, You are my hiding place. God is the refuge. He is the fortress where he protects his children from their enemies. God is a keeper. He is the one who preserves us from trouble or distress. He surrounds us with songs or shouts of deliverance. God is our warrior king. He fought David's battles. He'll fight our battles. And he'll give us the victory. And that's why David ends in verse 7 on a note of worship and praise. Think back to verse 1. Verse 6 and 7 complete the thought. When we confess our sins to the Lord, when we receive His cleansing, we're not doomed to repeat the cycle. God will defend us from not only evil, but the evil one. Just as Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil, God will answer that prayer. And he'll give us songs of deliverance. The blessings of forgiveness. Now in verses 8 through 11, we have the benefits of forgiveness. The benefits of forgiveness. Let's begin with verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you are who are upright in heart. Beginning in verse 8, it is God who is speaking. God addresses here David. Not the temple priest. God's not talking through any mediator. He's talking one-on-one -on -one directly to David. And he promises he'll speak to us. That's why David records the words of God in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. See, God's not just our warrior king. God's our teacher. When the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, he gave them the law. That's what redemption's all about. Obedience. It's about learning who God is, and learning how to please God. You see, you and I, believer, have been saved to serve. God promises instruction and in teaching to David. And that teaching is how to walk in the Lord's way. 
God not only shows us the way, he says, I'm going to guide you in it. He says, I'm going to keep my eye on you because he's a watchful father. And so as you live, as you walk through this life, you need to remember his eye is on you. He's watching you. Are you learning what he has to teach you? Listen, that's why he gave his law, to be an instruction manual to us on how to be holy. Verse 9 contains a warning that contrasts with the positive teaching in verse 8. Don't be like the horse or mule who needs a bit and bridle for control. Listen, Christian, respond to God. Be obedient to his word. Be eager to walk in his ways. And guess what? You'll keep in step. You'll walk in the spirit. Galatians 5.25 Don't be like a rebellious, dumb animal that has to be forced to do the will of its owner. Now David contrasts the wicked with the faithful here in his conclusion. That word sorrows there literally means pain. In his unrepentant state, David knew pain. But now, with his trust in the Lord renewed, he knows mercy. He knows the covenant love of God. And this mercy of God surrounds him like the song of deliverance of verse 7. David's ending exhortation speaks of the righteous, the upright in heart. Namely, those who have repented and been renewed. He now calls them to worship. To be glad in the Lord, to be glad in Yahweh, who provides provision for sin, verses 8, 1 through 5, protection from enemies in verses 5 through 7, and his presence through life in verse 8 and 9. I'll say that again. We can be glad in the Lord because he provides us provision for sin, verses 1 through 5, protection from our enemies in verses 5 to 7, and his presence through life, verses 8 and 9. And our joy is to be expressed out loud, with shouting. It's to be vocal, it's to be verbal. It ought to be a cry of delight from those who stand in the presence of God, their Savior. As the scripture says, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. My friends, blessings will come. The benefits will come when we no longer tolerate sin, when we no longer repress sin, when we confess our sin, when we acknowledge our sin before a holy God. And then and only then will the blessings of God come to us again. Our mourning will turn to joy before the Lord. The encouragement of Psalm 32 is that we pray in a time when you may be found. Let's hold on to that promise and let us seek the favor and face of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the word that you've set before us. Psalm 32 the psalm of forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, that you are so gracious that, Father, when we sin, you call us to yourselves so that we can repent, so that we can confess our sin, so we can acknowledge our sin, and in turn, Lord, you forgive our sin. And I thank you for the many blessings and benefits that are attached to your divine forgiveness. And so, Father, I pray right now, Lord, for any who are listening, perhaps various sins have come to mind, that even now, Father, they may confess and forsake those sins before you, and that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. That, Father, you would restore them to the place of, of, of blessing. That, Lord, you would give them all the benefits you have uh, to give to them, Father. And that, in turn, Lord, they can rejoice and be glad. Thank you, Father, for being a gracious loving father who's not just our warrior king but as a father always keeps an eye on us and is always ready and 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 willing to forgive us 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank and praise you for that. We pray this in the Son's name. Amen.